RadioInfluence.com. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for joining in. Okay, we have had some crazy people on the podcast. America's best friend means that everyone gets a shot at talking on this darn podcast. So we have had stylists that help you look fabulous. We've had home decor people that tell you how to do everything fabulous for cheap. But if you want the real shit, we have one of my favorite people, Coach Steph Carino. Okay. Hello, baby. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Okay, so if people don't know, they're stupid, but here's what the deal is. <laughs> Coach Steph is what I like to call her. You are currently the assistant female basketball coach for the University of Pennsylvania. That is correct, I am. It sounds a little bit like an Ivy League situation. It is, it is. Uh, we compete in the Ivy League, um, one of the best schools in the entire world, and it's a complete honor to be at Penn. Okay. So, and basketball in Philadelphia is like no joke. And, uh, and, and Penn is like historic. I know that a lot of people think about Temple, obviously, if loving him is wrong, I don't want to be in love with Jay Wright from Villanova. But I do think that like Penn, the building that you guys play in, people go there just to take tours of it because it is so historic. Fair? Fair, 100%. I mean, we... From a recruiting perspective, we say that to most of our um, potential student athletes. It's a museum. I mean, you walk the halls of the palestra and you have people from Kobe Bryant who've played there, God rest them. Um, you have LeBron James, you have Will Chamberlain. I mean, you have some of the greatest, most iconic sports figures um, to ever walk those halls and then play in the actual palestra. So every day we walk into it as a staff, it's just, it's just amazing. Um, the history that's walked through those halls and played on those floors. I love it. All right. So we're going to talk a little bit about that in a minute, but I think most of the people that listen to this are my people. They drink a lot of wine. Yeah. They probably have some kids and they need a shortcut to fabulosity. Okay. okay. And what, what I mean by that is, you know, I, I, I remember reading, I don't know, two, three summers ago, a time magazine article that talked about, we spend so much money on private coaching, dietitians, uh, shooting coaches, pitching, all that nonsense. And it really is a very slim window of who will not only play high school athlete, you know, at athletics at the high school level, right? But certainly collegiate. And then you think about the Ivy League, right? So, you know, I know that you work with all kinds of kids all the time. You have two little ones at home. I have a fifth grade girl who you've met she plays basketball kind of recreationally. Even in fifth grade, I think there are a lot of parents who are afraid to start a new sport. They're afraid if their kids are not playing at an elite level. They're afraid that they, don't, that they haven't chosen their favorite. My daughter Landry plays lacrosse, tennis, golf. We water ski, we snow ski. She does ballet, gymnastics. None of it is a travel situation. She will be moving on to middle school and high school are you okay with the fact that she's a bit all over the place? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, especially at that age, it's phenomenal to be in all of those different uh, extracurricular activities. Um, I think that's how you figure out what your niche is and what you feel um, makes you the best you. Um, because yeah, you can be great at basketball, but you may love skiing better. Um, and I think at the end of the day, that's all that really matters is where, where your heart is. Um, and I think at a young age, 
like fifth grade, that's hard to decide of, okay, right now you're going to be the best basketball player because you're the most skilled at it, or you're the tallest, or you run the fastest. Like, I think they're all things that, yeah, parents probably say, but is that realistic? Like, for me as a parent myself, like, I think of it as like, what's my kid the happiest doing? Like, at the end of the day, what makes her smile? What makes her want to be um, better than she thought possible? And I think it's great that you challenge, uh, you can challenge your kids to, to be in different activities and not just put them in a pigeonhole of, oh, this is just the one thing that they can do because they're going to excel at that. Um, I think that's when you take the way more from seeing your child just blossom even more. So I think we look at it as like the big picture of this kid um, and not just, uh, oh, yeah, they're the, great, they're the greatest basketball player. So I think it's great when at a young age they're, they're exploring different activities that they may find their niche at some point. And you know that some people think fifth grade is not a young age. They, they are, I have friends all the time that are ter- like, my daughter does not play field hockey. And I'm like, okay, there's no summer camps. Why don't we get a field hockey kid over here, you know, a high school kid to like, see if they like field hockey. And they're like, well, they're, if they haven't even learned how to do it yet, like 10, 11, 12, even 13 is not too old to try something new, right? Uh, so I'll speak on myself too. I mean, I started playing basketball in seventh grade. Um, I tried out just like you're saying, a bunch of different things. I was a cheerleader. I was in gymnastics. I, I did everything horseback riding. I did all kinds of different activities and I finally found my love, but started so late. Um, and most people said to me like, Oh, you'll never amount to anything because you tried, you tried it so late and you got into it. So like there's kids that played like out of the womb. And I'm like, that's ridiculous. I think in the moment of, I, I had that drive to me that I was like, I'm going to work harder than anybody because I started later. Um, and then I got a full scholarship, scored a thousand points, won a conference championship, and now I'm coaching and instilling that into young uh, women and men. So it's like, whatever, whenever you choose, I think it's got to be that fire and that drive. And I think that's kind of back to my original point of let them, let them figure that on their own. Don't choose that for them. And I think give them more resources to, to go do this, do this, do that. And then maybe they'll find it themselves. Yeah. So uh, Vince Papali, a lot of people know him in Philadelphia. He is the person that the movie Invincible was based on. If you don't know the story, basically he was a teacher in the Philadelphia area. They had an open call out for the Philadelphia Eagles and he got the job and he's got a crazy, crazy story. But I remember him. He has two kids, Vinny, who played uh, collegiate football at the University of Delaware his daughter, Gabby, also very successful. When Brody was born, my son is now 14, he was like, make sure you have him do an individual sport and a team sport each season so that he can have success for himself, for himself, by himself, failure for himself, and also know how it feels to win and lose as a team. I always do these podcasts via Zoom. I'm looking at you. You're, you're nodding your head. You agree with this? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I mean, just in general, like I think individual sports are great too, because I think that get, like we said, that personal drive that uh, wants you to be like just great in you. And I think that's a huge part of being successful in anything we do, but then being able to work with others and uh, being challenged by others that may be more skilled or have different strengths that you, they're your weaknesses. I think that's the beauty of just bringing that all together as you as your individual. And then here's this team dynamic of, um, now we all have the same common goal, and that's to to win and have fun and and just compete. Um, I think that's what makes just anything being a part of a team um, is just so special. So I think both of them are crucial because I mean we say it just in life like you can't 
love somebody else until you love yourself. You can't be great at what you do until you, you want to be great at you. And that's just the individual reflection that you have to have. So then you branch out to the team part and that's just what makes the whole um, thing about being a part of the team. So amazing. Okay. Thousand points. Does yeah. that, I know I heard from LeBron, like he says, like um, as many points as I scored, I missed that many shots and more. Right. Yeah. Okay. So when you're like, do, 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 because that's what it sounds like when you're in a gym with basketballs to me. Like, <laughs> do you think you're going to make it every single time? No, it's unrealistic. Um, even the young women and the young men that I coached um, and continue to coach, it, a lot of the game and a lot of sports is mental. And I say that like very, very strongly because um, everyone thinks it's skill. Like, oh, the fact that you have to, to put the ball in the basket, you're the best basketball player. And it's like, no, some of the greatest athletes and the greatest basketball players mentally prepare themselves more than they do the skill of training. Um, and I think that's crucial because we talk about just um, muscle memory and the mus muscle, the discipline of, oh, when adversity hits, how do I respond? Um, so I think it's just a huge that you do things prior. You, you do prior work to say, okay, I'm going to train my brain that if I do miss five shots in a row, it's okay. Um, I'm going to keep shooting. And I have that mentality and I have that confidence instilled to me that no one can take that away from me. Not a coach that's yelling at me, not one of my teammates that's relying on me. Me individually, I've done my prep work mentally that I'm confident enough that if I do miss five in a row, I'm shooting that sixth shot and it doesn't matter what anybody says or whatever the reaction is. And most times if you prepare yourself that way, that sixth shot will go in. Um, it's just that you have to do that prep work. It's not just in that moment because in that moment, when negativity happens, your body kind of shuts down and it's trying to train it in a sense to, uh, to do the work prior to that. So I encourage that with every athlete that I work with, that I coach, um, that you have to do it prior to the actual moment that it happens. Okay, stop. So we all have a really sucky boss. We have a sucky spouse. We have a shitty kid. I mean, I'm just, you know, whatever. We all have that like one thing in our life where you're like, is it freaking Monday again? I don't want to talk to Tina in accounting or whatever it is, right? Yeah. And I'm always like, I think everyone knows I'm a pretty positive person, but I definitely go through times where I'm like, I, I don't want to go to work because I don't want to deal with that, that negativity. So how do we, you know, saying, oh, I'm definitely going to get that sixth shot. Mm -hmm. Like, like give, us a, give us a little hack. Give us a trick. How do we make this work? So how do I feel better? Personally, like I've done some things myself that um, like reading, I think reading is great. There's, there's a great sports psychology books out there. This book called Mind Gym that I've read personally um, in college to kind of, it's, it just gives you techniques of like, okay, when that, that, that sixth shot is about to happen, how do you breathe? How do you, how do you train your brain to think um, prior to it? So stuff like that I give to even young players that I feel that they may be so hard on themselves that they miss the one shot and it's like, oh gosh, this is the end of the world that you, you maybe read this a chapter before every game, and that's what I did personally, um, that gets your mind like just in a healthy place. Because like you said, there is those negativities, and there are, there's going to be them throughout everybody's lives that uh, those factors come in. And it's like, yeah, how do we respond to them? Um, and I think something like that, like doing the prep work, not just in that moment of when it happened, doing the prep work prior to it happening, because you know it's going to happen inevitably. We wake yeah. up every morning and something negative is going to happen, sadly. Um, that you do it th before then that you just re you react. Um, and then just for instance, today I was working out a group of young girls and 
one of the girls was missing free throws and she, all she had to do was make one. And I could see in the body language that she was just felt defeated. So I just asked a simple question. What'd you have for breakfast today? And everybody starts laughing. They think it's hysterical. And I'm like, seriously. And just in that moment, all that she did was stop thinking about the fact that she's been missing and missing and missing and just think like, yeah, what did I have for breakfast? Then she shoots the next shot and it goes in because Aww. a lot of this is just such a mental factor that uh, we have to allow our bodies and allow our minds to just do what they naturally will do, but when the adversity hits. You know, and the other thing too is I think, you know, we are women, right? And we're smart women. And I remember I had an agent years ago, I was really frustrated at work. And he was like, you've got to remember, you're one of the smarter people in the room. So when people don't want to be told, or it can be obvious sometimes if you're a smart woman in a room, not just of other men, but of other women, smart women don't like to be challenged, right? Which sucks. Because I got this whole thing on girl on girl crime, where I think that women hurt women more than men ever will, right? Like, we are, especially in a professional setting, there's so little compared to what women do that a man can do to me because I'm like, whatever. But I do think we want to be heard is the other thing too, because I know you just said this, like, don't try to like fix it while it's escalating, while the situation is hot. But I think three days later, you know, it is good sometimes to go back to whomever you're having a negative, you know, thing and say, hey, this is what I was trying to say you weren't listening because you were so upset with me that you couldn't even hear the argument that I was making, which ultimately could have saved the team, right? The, the work team or the basketball team. Yeah. I mean, I think everyone has different ways of what they deal, how they deal with things. Um, some just shut down. Some are like, like you said, like combative, like in the moment, like let's go, like we're having this argument. We're dishing it out right now. I really think it depends. And that's, the, again, the beauty of being a part of a team. You have those different personalities. Um, I know for me, I'm like, I'm very, we're very similar of like, I'm ready to go. Like, I'm like a fire pistol. Like, let's, let's go. We're discussing this right now. But that's not always, I've realized as I've grown, the best situation because of those emotions are so strong, current, like right then and there. So I have to remove myself for about three minutes and then you, then you go in. And then we do that just within our team. Like we don't go right into the locker room after a win or a loss. We, we, gather as a staff. We discuss the things that are great. We discuss the things that we really need to work on. And then the emote, we calm down at that point. It's almost like a decompressing time that then we go into our student athletes and we give them a way better message that if we ran right in there after a loss and just berated them, it's just not effective and it doesn't work. So I think it's huge that, especially when you can take yourself away from, remove yourself from a situation and then go back in, you'll probably see so much more growth and um, beneficial stuff than just right off the hot off the press. You know, so you talk about student athletes. I think most of us, you know, when you listen to this podcast, if you are a parent, you have just ended the craziest wackadoo spring, frustrating as hell, right? And I think there are so many people that the kids are feeling stressed, even though they did this online. And, you know, you think about a school like Penn, and we've heard that like the University of Pennsylvania is an Ivy League school the academic pressures, whether you are up for it or not, are just insane. And so I, I think that as, a, as an adult, you know, even like a 25-year-old, a 30-year-old, you can manage that stress, you know, with um, making a list, checking it twice, knowing that, you know, you have your like sales quota is due next week. But when you're a kid, you know, even these like, you know, 18-year-olds that you're dealing with, how do you get these kids to step out of themselves a little bit 
and and de-escalate or you know stop stressing themselves out yeah i mean i think it's it's a shame because they do but i think that's also just the beauty of growth because they they can learn so much from those situations i think a lot of it is is the people that you surround your kids with um i think giving them positive role models to have um that they realize they've been in these situations like sometimes it's hard when your mom and dad i mean to try to have that conversation, they shut you out sometimes. And I'm going to deal with it with my own kids. And I deal with it currently that I just see them with their teacher. I'm like, wait, why don't you do that with me? So I think yeah. a lot of it is revolving them around strong people, um, whether it's from a female to a female, like that girl power of like, let's empower the next generation to, um, to, to get it when they get in those moments, they can go into someone who's lived them. And not, like I said, not mom and dad who, uh, it's just a different level of relationship that it's somebody um, that they can look up to and they can say, all right, if it's, for instance, me, hypothetical coach Steph, she's, she's been in the situation that, um, yeah, she didn't have a, a virus that she was stressed out that she's doing online, but um, she was stressed out managing sports and academics and personal friendships and all those things and boyfriends and all the things that they go through in life that, oh, here, let's sit down and let's discuss it. Um, I think there are huge things because when you really can relate to somebody, that's when I think um, the the person and the child can really be like, "Wow, that really makes me feel better." Um, because you can't you can't keep them from those situations; they're going to happen. It's inevitable. Um, I think it's the beauty of growth and life that we live in. But I think giving them that outlet to have that discussion, I think discussion is the most health one of the most healthiest things we can do as people um, that they feel like they they have that person to kind of lean on. I think it's a huge thing that every young young woman every young man should have is some type of role model and mentor that they can kind of discuss things with all right college basketball lady sports we just had a girl get her first sneaker right yeah i mean that is huge i you know it's funny like women have so many ways to make money team sports is not the ideal way to make money but when you see a girl coming out of college playing basketball, getting a shoe. Like, what does that actually mean to the world of women's sports? I mean, I just think it's, it's a long time coming. Um, I, I, I hate that it's taken this long because, um, like you said, like women, women rule the world. I mean, and whether you want to believe that or not, I mean, just in family settings, most Fortune 500 companies, uh, college athletics, anywhere you name it, like, um, it, we just, we're, we're amazing, um, women. And I think it's a long time coming, but, um, I just think it shows the growth of where we're at in, in society, um, and the way that we we're trying to all look at each other as an equal and not so much gender, race, religion. Um, and I think that's just the, that's to me, the empower, empowering thing, because I look at my two young boys, I don't have girls, but I empower young girls every day, um, that, you don't look at those things. Look at the person. Look at the person that, yeah, she's a phenomenal basketball player that deserves a shoe contract, deserves it. Not that she should just be given it. She deserves it. Um, and I think that's just the unique part about it. And, I mean, I'll speak to myself of last year I worked for um, Coach Herb McGee at Jefferson, and I was one of two women to coach um, men's college basketball. And to me, I, I, I think I, one of the reasons I did it is to empower um, young girls to say, do whatever you want to do. Um, because the world needs to change and they need to get on this ship or get off of it and do whatever they choose. But we, we're going to lead and we're going to empower and we're going to be the strongest person in the room a lot of times. And that's okay. Um, don't let anybody tell you differently. And that's one of the reasons I did what I did last year is to 
to show those young women, girl, if you want to do that, do that. If you want to be a lawyer with a male dominant um, staff, go ahead and lead it and challenge yourself even more than ever you thought. So I think I would keep going right there. I don't like the worst part of being a female sports reporter. I mean, we're just calling it like we is going into the locker room, right? I'm assuming you didn't go into the locker room because you're a female coach and you're a coach and all that. Like, what was the most difficult part other than knowing that you're a genius? I'm kidding. Um, What was the most difficult part in the beginning of coaching guys? Like, I'm assuming if Coach McGee, the head coach, says you're the assistant, a lot of guys are going to buy in. Like, that's an automatic, right? There's got to be dudes who are just like, excuse me, I got some chick here that – it's going to, I mean, right. There had to be one or two that you could sense. I'm going to be honest with you. No. And I think, I think what? that, I think that because it's how you are, it's who you are. I think that there's, there's a lot of women out there that they they're born to just lead and they're born to empower. There's others that it might slowly take that me. I'm like, this is who I am. Um, I jumped right in it first floor, the day I got there and I was no BS. I was like, you're going to respect me because I know what I'm talking about. Um, I've done what you've done I, at the same exact school, ironically as well. Um, and, and it doesn't matter if I'm a girl or a guy, like just, you're going to respect me, the person. Um, and I think because I laid that down from day one, that respect was given. And I think just like most things, respect is earned at times as well. They saw how hard I worked. They saw how passionate I was about them. They saw how much I loved them outside of just basketball, that they were like, this is, this is a phenomenal person, not just a young woman or or just a coach. So I think that I gained their respect because of I was there every day, five in the morning, Coach McGee has practice. I was there and I was yelling at them just as if I would yell at my girls and encourage my girls. So they, they just bought in from day one. I would say the most challenging though, it's ironic. You said the locker room situation was that, um, I I was in it. So they would get, they would get dressed. They would do what they had to do. I would leave. And I felt that one of the most, and it needs to change. One of the things is you see a lot of men coaching women, right? We don't see a lot of women coaching men. It's just, we, there's, it's evolving as we speak, but um, they always have these locker rooms for the men coaches that are coaching females that they can't be in their locker room to be like, oh, here's where you can change. I changed in stalls of bathrooms that people were going number one and number two in. Like nobody cared where I was going. I had to go get nice and snazzy and dressed up because I dressed up to the nines and I was I had to go into a stall. Nobody cared that I went in there. Coach McGee did. He would ask me every day, you all right? Did you find a bathroom? Because nobody had a place for me. So I think there's certain things that those things have to evolve that if we see women going into men, give them a nice room to change in, not like a regular stall that they can't even move in. Um, right. That was one of the most challenging things that I faced was nobody really cared where the female coach on the male staff was going to get changed. And there are things that on the, on the male to the female, they care about. They have their space. Right. You know, it's funny. A couple of years ago, my son w- took um, some squash lessons, clinic, whatever, at a girl's school. Right. And he's a dude and he was in middle school and he's like, mommy, I have to go pee. Where am I going to go pee? And it was funny right there. There was a male bathroom because again, it's a girl's school. But if, if coach Dave has to go pee while coaching squash, there was definitely a bathroom for that dude. And of course, it was funny that I was like, buddy, go in there. And he's like, that's for grownups. I'm like, you're a dude. You're a dude whether you're 12 or 47. <laughs> like, it's the only one here. I, I mean, I do think that, like, that unique voices give us unique perspective, right? 
So I am sure that there are guys now that you're coaching women who don't have access to you, you know, that, that are missing out. And I do think it's all about the eyes, right? Like you're looking at them with a separate set of eyes and you know how they can like go up the lane or train better and all of that to make sure that they can be successful again, not just in life or not just on the basketball court, but in life too. Now, Coach McGee, if people don't know about him, he is uh, in his 70s. He's got a mustache the size of my oven. I mean, it's like he walks around town with this thing, okay? Did, did you ever have, like, were you ever like, and he's the, for a while he was the winningest coach in all of basketball, even though he's not D1. Were you ever like, dude, I am coaching with Herb McGee. Yeah, I mean, just that moment when we decided to do this, I, I've always had a great deal of respect for Coach McGee because obviously I played at Philly U and he was the men's coach um, when I was on the women's side. But he's just a, an amazing human being. and I couldn't say enough about him, but he doesn't, he doesn't act that way to, to me. Like when you're, when you're part of his family, which is the day that he let, asked me to be on staff, I became a part of his family. And since then, um, we do dinners together. He comes to my parade drive-by when I just turned 31. Like he's just, he's a, as loyal as they come person, but there is that star starstruck time of, I mean, you're talking about one, somebody that will never see do anything like this ever again. I mean, being at one school for as long as he's been a thousand plus wins, Naismith hall of fame, um, just being as, that. huh? He's been there 50 years. Yeah. 50. He's he, on his this, third season. This is my thing. So again, people who don't know this guy, Google Herb Muggy, M-A-G-E-E. My man played at Philadelphia University. Was it called it that? It was at Philadelphia Textile when he was okay. there. He decided to be an assistant coach. And I think he could have gone to the NBA, right? Yep, he was drafted by the Boston Celtics. Yep. And he's like, you know what? I'm good. And then he became the head coach. Bottom line, my man has never filled out an application for a job, never had to go find a parking spot in a new place. He never had to find new lunch buddies in the new office, which of course I rip on him. Like you switch jobs. You don't know where to sit for lunch, right? <laughs> My man is like, people bring him lunch. I'm sure they do. And, and you know, that's the other thing we talked about, you know, what a great, I'm sure he has to work on it all the time being up for that, right? Because 50 years of anything, has to get old. And the fact that he is able to reinvent himself and, and, you know, invite you into his coaching family and do that 50 years down the road. But you know what? This podcast isn't about Herb McGee. It's about coach stuff. Okay. So last thing, it is summer. There are no summer camps. There's no sleepaway camps. You can't get on a plane with your family because you, maybe you can, but uh, you can't really. What do you want parents doing with their kids? Like we have, a, I call this the land of nets out here on the main line of Philadelphia. We have 42 nets in our backyard because we've got the net, the net behind the net to make sure that what doesn't go in the net is the net. What do you want parents doing with their kids this summer to keep them active and hopefully focused on some kind of athletic goal? I mean, I think that it's the time we're living in is, is very challenging, obviously. Um, I think like things like small group workouts, like it, as long as they're within CDC guidelines of, and it's safe for your child, getting them out with like young, other young girls or even young boys. I mean, I played with boys growing up that they're, that they're out and they're interacting and they're not sitting on their 
their laptops or their phones or their PC, uh, their Xboxes and all those things that they're, um, they're out and they're engaging, they're interacting, um, but they're just active. I mean, I think that's the main thing at, at a young age, or even if you're just aspiring to, to eventually play in college at some point, like the conditioning factor of it, that they're not just sitting around doing nothing. But I think small group workouts, I think that's where we can start at with just where, where we're at um, right now with the CDC, that they, they get some individual instruction by, by certain people that um, can just help their skill. And it's not just basketball at any sport that they play or anything that they're interested in doing um, that, that is safe. And I think you as parents, it, it might be as hard because they're going to be like, mom, dad, I don't know if I want to do that with you. So like I said, that next factor of maybe somebody else, if not setting down like a schedule of like at this time you're going and you're doing some lacrosse stuff at this point, you're doing some basketball stuff. And I think you can do that even with like some of the small group workouts of what did, what did so-and-so teach you? What did coach Steph teach you today? Go out there and do a few of the drills that she taught you. And then that's not like every single day because come on, it's going to get expensive after, after a while. And yeah. who wants to do that? But and you have some of these resources in your backyards that they can do, they can go out there and they can shoot a ball. Sometimes you don't even need a net if it's from a basketball perspective. So um, I just say, keep, keep, ha- keep having them as active as possible as if you were to send them to camp, because if not, they're just going to sit around and they're just, they're not going to take that next level of skill or that next level of growth of confidence and all those things that if we just say like, Oh, let's let this virus and let's let the world that we're living in kind of set them back. They're going to be set back. So just keep in like, um, encouraging them to to do those things within safety, obviously. Now, I don't want to end on a negative thing, so I'm going to give you a big opportunity here, okay? I'm sure you were expecting this. <laughs> Early this year, when it was still cold out, I went to Princeton University, which is an Ivy League school, and I interviewed in the pool while swimming their women's water polo team, not just Princeton's, the United States water polo, okay? They are, they are undefeated. They train at Princeton. The Princeton water polo coach, who's, I think, from a foreign country, definitely very serious about water polo, asked me, this is what he said to me, do you have any eligibility left in water polo? And I said, oddly enough, I do. And the thing is, Coach, you've never asked me if I have eligibility left for women's (laughs) basketball. Now, again, I don't want to end it in a negative way. So this could kind of like be your time to also think outside of the box. Is there anything that you wanted to ask me about my own basketball career? Um, So do you have any eligibility left? (laughs) (laughs) I can't. All right, now that I, yeah, I do. Oddly oh. enough, at five foot even, I did not play college basketball. I know that surprises you. You're stunned. I can see it. No. Shocked. Gobsmacked. It's like, <laughs> I, are you going to be okay? Uh, no, I, I did not play collegiate D1 Ivy League basketball. Also, I went to Florida public schools. So my SAT it's not exactly pen worthy. Oh. <laughs> I might have gotten a point for signing my name. Oh, I definitely did not get many more points than that. Is that oh. going to impact any kind of situation at Penn? I would encourage you, um, as someone I'm recruiting now, potentially as a student athlete at Penn, okay. 
maybe, maybe we can retest. Maybe we can retest and just and try to get a better score. Okay. Okay. That's good. Okay. I just, if, I, if you I were if like, you were my potential student athlete, that's what I would try to I would tell you. Let's just I let's just, try to retest. I didn't want you to lose that opportunity. You know, like I'm sure I'm highly sought after for oh, yeah. water polo. Have you ever seen those girls play water polo, by the way? No, but I, I can only imagine how difficult that is because anything in a pool to me is challenging. Thank Treading water, water and doing for that. like two no. hours for practice. I couldn't even imagine. And then they wrestle each other underwater. Yeah, <laughs> That's it's basically me. All right, here's the thing. I'm not going to keep you. I love you. I love that you are positive for ladies, not just my own lady, but ladies around the world. Um, if, if basketball happens, can I come and sit on the bench with you and just yell at everyone, please? Yes, and please bring your daughter and any of her friends as well because we need to get them to the historic palestra. But yes, you can. We, we will make sure that you're out there. During a game? During a game, we can get you a, we can get you a, a t-shirt too. Ooh. We got you. We got you, girl. I mean, I should, it should really be part of the recruiting process that I get to yell at my future Potential, teams. yeah, players. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They need to know when, when Hurricane Jenny comes, they need to know what is happening with Hurricane Jenny. That's, what the, that's my playing name. I don't know if you've ever heard that before. That's, Hurricane that's some serious Jenny. street cred right there. You got yeah, some Hurricane street cred Jenny. with that name. Coach Steph, we love you. Thank you for being a badass. This is America's best friend. You know what I want people to do. Subscribe, tell the neighbors. You have nothing else going on. It's a podcast, people. Put it in your car. Put it on your AirPods. I don't really know where you put it. Um, but bottom line, I love you. You guys are the best. Goodbye! This is a Forking Around Town with Tracy Guida Quick Fix on Radio Influence. Hey guys, welcome to Forking Around Town. I'm your host, Tracy, and this week I am chatting with Anthony Santos of Eat Right Meals in Tampa, Florida. Anthony is one of my favorite chefs and also a good friend of mine. Well, here's the thing, is that their staff gets corona, who's working? Right. Who's working, you know? So either you're scrambling to hire new people and you put new people out on the floor and then you risk, you know, running your reputation to the ground or... You remember how blessed you are to even be open at this time. You know, I mean, you know, thank God for our governor, but he could easily have just shut it down. You know, but he's put it open. I mean, we're in hospitality. We're all blessed to work right now. So wear the mask, wear the proper mask, wear the gloves, and follow the rules. You know, right. when you get the virus, then you'll be like, oh God, wow, I should have done this or done that. Don't don't wait for that. Just do it right now. Yes, um, you can follow my business at Time to Eat Right um, on Instagram and then eatright.life. And then if you want to follow me personally and see all the good food that I make, you can follow me at Chef Anthony Santos on Instagram. Forking Around Town with Tracy Guida can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and RadioInfluence.com. 